Yeah, we put hairspray in our five-year-old's hair. Is that, is that weird? He's super particular about his hair, and I have no idea where he got that from. Like, like last week, I was getting ready for school and uh, fixing his hair in the mirror. I kid you not. He looked in the mirror. This is what he said. They're going to be amazed. <laughs> it's like, oh, boy. Well, my name is Nick, and I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you all to worship. We're wrapping up our marriage series this weekend called So This Is Love. My wife was planning on joining us uh, here for this weekend, but she's at home with the flu. So pray for her. Um, at least one of the kids has it uh, as well. So I'm thinking about staying here today. <laughs> I'm just going like, to like hide at my office for a little while. Um, just leave her there by herself. Wouldn't be a good idea for our marriage. But um, yeah, so she'll be joining us though via technology. We're going to show a piece um, from, from her part of the message we shared a few weeks ago over here in the contemporary space. So you will be hearing from her. But, you know, I am, uh, I'm sort of humbled. We, we just celebrated eight years last week uh, on the 7th, which I know compared to a lot of the folks in the room, that's like a drop in the bucket, right? In fact, if you've been married 30 years or longer, can you just stand up real quick so we can celebrate you? Is that, is that weird? I don't care. Do it anyway. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. This is, um, I think it's important for us to see regardless of if we're married or not. Because I think couples who, who really stay the course, the long haul, who stay committed to each other for, for that long, man, you're, you're proof to the world this Jesus thing's for real. You know, because following Jesus is not easy, right? It's worth it, but it's not easy. I think one of the places where it gets difficult is actually trying to love other people, <laughs> particularly the ones that we live with. Right? It's easy to love folks that we don't see very often, right? Strangers. But when it comes, sometimes the hardest people for us to love are the ones we have to wake up to every day. Right? And so I just want to say thank you so much for your, for your faithfulness, your witness, because you are living proof. Living proof. This Jesus thing, it works. So keep it up. So on one hand, I feel sort of weird up here sharing with you all. I've only been married eight years, right? So I'm a guy who knows absolutely nothing about what I'm doing, and I'm going to share that with you. However... You know, age and experience, they don't have the monopoly on wisdom. You know what I'm saying? In fact, I'll, I'll never forget, I oversaw the premarital process at the former church where I served, and we always required couples to go through a pretty intensive uh, premarital counseling. And I'll never forget this one guy, an older fella. He came to me, and I told him about this, and he said, I've been married five times, young man. What makes you think I need this? <laughs> it's like, Nothing. No, nothing. Absolutely nothing, right? And so age and experience, they don't have the monopoly on wisdom, right? I believe scriptures say that God gives wisdom. He grants wisdom. And my wife and I, we really prayed. What is it that we need to talk about with y'all? What do we need to share? And we feel like God has, has led us in a particular direction. I want to share that with you, all right? So thank you for having the humility to, again, listen to a guy who really has no idea what he's, what he's talking about. Thank you for that. Now, in the video, I told you that we met because I stalked her on Facebook. That just made me sound really creepy, and it's, really, it's not true, okay? It didn't start there. It actually started on MySpace. How many of you all remember? <laughs> Makes it a whole lot better. You remember MySpace? It came before Facebook, right? Now, Anna, I see you in the room. Michael, I see you in the room. This is when Trevor and I, about 10 years ago, uh, I was an intern here at the church um, doing, stu doing student ministry. You know, you know Tre Trevor Miller? He's our student pastor now. Uh, he was here as well. We were roommates, and a couple of the high school students actually made us a MySpace page, right? And we had no idea what to do with this thing. Like, what do you do with a MySpace page? And so we were sitting around the house, and we discovered that it had a search function. 
You can put in all these different you know, criteria or whatever, what, like what, who or what you're looking for. And so we decided to make a game out of this. Don't judge us. Here's what we did. We each put in a search and we picked who we called our MySpace girlfriend. So this was a girl that we thought was, you know, attractive or whatever. And we decided that we had to send them the most over-the-top, corny, cheesy message imaginable, right? In fact, we had to like sign off on the messages before we actually sent them to make sure that they were bad enough, right? And so we each picked one. I picked Lindsay. She was my MySpace girlfriend, right? And I sent her this just unbelievably corny, cheesy message on MySpace, and she never wrote me back, right? Now, fast forward about a year later, and I was involved with a church in downtown Columbia. I was doing an internship there. Keep in mind, Lindsay's from the upstate. She's from Abbeville. You know where Abbeville is at Greenwood? That's where my wife is from. And so I was doing an internship at this church, and now Facebook was like the popular social media thing, right? And I was looking through this church's Facebook group to see if I knew anybody that was worshiping there, and I see Lindsay in the group. I had two thoughts. I'm like, that's weird. I thought she was from Abbeville. And then I was like, oh no, because I had been doing things on stage like updates or announcements or whatever, and I'm like, if she even remembers me at all, she's telling everybody I'm a creep, right? I'm this creepy guy who sent her a message, so I asked her to be my friend so I could stalk her some more on Facebook. And the thing I noticed, let's be honest, my wife's a babe. I mean, she's, she's beautiful. She's stunning. And so right away, I was like, she is just gorgeous. And so I noticed that we had a lot of the same friends. So like we knew a lot of the same people, which I thought was interesting. And so I started asking these people, who's this Lindsay Jeffries girl? And they're all like, oh, she's amazing. But how do you know Lindsay? I was like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, right? <laughs> None of your business, right? So I come home and Trevor's there. We're hanging out. And I open up the computer and I say, Trevor, look who I found. It's my MySpace girlfriend. Here's what Trevor says to me. He says, I bet you won't write her again. <laughs> which I said, who won't? And so I sent her another message. Sadly, it didn't get any better than the first one. It was something like, hey, I know you don't know me, but next time you're in Columbia, we should like hang out. Like, come on, that's the best I could do, right? But she wrote me back. She wrote me back. She said, you're right, I don't know you, right? <laughs> well, who do you know that I know and whatever? So we, the message started that way, right? Then we, I wrote her back and the messages got longer and longer and then somehow I managed to score her digits over Facebook, we had a couple of phone calls and then we decided to meet in person. If you've ever been to the Starbucks in Greenwood, South Carolina, that's where we met for coffee. I'll be honest with you, that was it. 10 months later, we were engaged. Three, month, three months later, we were married, living in Ohio, 600 miles away from all of her family and friends. The operative word in our relationship is fast. Fast. Nothing has stayed the same for very long. I mean, we weren't married, but I think just over a year and she was pregnant with our first child, right? If there's anything that we're familiar with, it's the unfamiliar. It's change. In fact, there was this one window. I want, it was less than three months. I, I'm trying to figure out how short of a time this was. All of this happened in, in this little bit of window, right? My, my role at the church where I was serving changed dramatically. I went from a high school pastor to what they called the teaching pastor, which is a big role at this church. I was preaching to like 5,000 people. It was big time change. That happened the same time our first child was born. We moved into our first house out of a one-bedroom apartment, and I decided to start grad school or seminary at the same time. Why not, right? 
all this happening in, in, in a little window of time. That's just a snapshot of what the past eight years have been like. Every year, it's something like this, something major, right? It's changed. A lot of you can relate out there, right? You've, you know this. And, and the thing is, one of the reasons why marriages struggle is because we don't navigate change very well. I mean, whether it's the change that comes from a career change, right? Or maybe you move into retirement, or maybe it's the change that comes with having kids or your kids growing up and moving out of the house. That's a transition. That's a change. Or maybe there's some sort of change that takes place in an extended family. Somebody passes away. There's an illness. There's a sickness. Whatever it is. Here's the deal. Change is hard for us individually already. This is difficult for us. But I believe it br- brings a whole lot of unique challenges to the marriage relationship. And if we're going to cultivate the kind of love that lasts, which is what this series has been about, then we have to learn to navigate change. Are you all with me? Now let's talk about that. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Like with any healthy movement in our life, growth in this area and navigating change, it really begins with what's going on up here, with how we think about change, how we approach change. Genesis chapter 1, let's take a look at it from like a big picture perspective. Right? Kind of take a step back and look at the whole thing. In Genesis 1, we have God creating this beautiful world. Right? And when he creates, he creates with variety. You notice that? Like when God makes trees, he doesn't just make one type of tree. Unless you live in South Carolina, it's all pine trees. Right? He makes a variety of trees. It says, and one of the phrases that shows up over and over, and over again is each according to its kind. It's referring to variety. There's a different type of trees, right? Same thing with animals. God doesn't just make one type of animal. He makes duck-billed platypus. He makes weird stuff, right? God makes a variety of animals. Then there's a blessing that God speaks over creation a couple times throughout chapter one. Did you catch it? It was in the verse that we had read this morning. The blessing God speaks over creation is this, be fruitful and multiply. The blessing God speaks over creation is this ability to produce, to change, to grow, to become something different. Creation isn't static. Creation's alive, right? So this is why if you go into the middle of the woods and you take a picture and you come back six weeks later, take a picture of the exact same place, are those two pictures going to look the same? No. They're going to be different. Because creation isn't static, it's alive, it's growing, it's moving, it's developing, it's producing, it's becoming something different, it's changing. And what is the word God speaks over all of this change in Genesis chapter one? It's what? It's good. Good. You know, life isn't static. Some of y'all have been married 30 plus years. You've probably become three or four different people over that span of time. I mean, how much has changed over the course of the time you've been married? Life isn't static. People grow up. Kids move out of the house. Loved ones pass away. Relationships fall apart. Life doesn't stay the same. And God believes that all of this change, it can be good. If we're going to get anywhere with this, then what has to change is our our approach towards change, how we think about change. Because let's be honest, we spend a whole lot of time, energy, and effort trying to avoid change, don't we? Fearing it, loathing it, regretting it. If we're going to get anywhere, we have to learn to embrace it. 
And like I said, my wife isn't able to be here, but we have a portion of her story she shared a couple weeks ago in contemporary service. My wife struggles with change. Let's listen to a little bit of her story. But God believes that change can be good. So Lindsay, why don't you share a little bit about your relationship with change? Well, something you need to know about me is that I'm a creature of habit. I do not do well with change. Whether it's as simple as a new hairstyle or as life-changing as becoming a mom for the first time, I struggle with change. And so after this three to four month time span that Nick talked about where we just experienced one life change after another, I felt like one of those cartoon characters, you know, the one that gets smacked upside the head and they're left with their head spinning and all these birds flying around and their eyes are doing all these crazy things. I felt like that. And after the dust finally settled and I came to, what I saw scared me to death because it was not at all like I'd envisioned. Of course, my heart's desire was to be next wife and to be a mom, but I'll be honest, this whole pastor's wife gig was for the birds. <laughs> you know, I'd never really dwell on the specifics of what my future life would look like. You know, I assumed someday I would marry the love of my life, um, hopefully have kids, possibly stay at home. Um, you know, my husband would work a nine to five job and we would live a comfortable life near family and friends. You can see where this is going, right? Like I said, I didn't know the specifics, but there was one thing I did know, and that was I, with certainty, did not want to be a pastor's wife. For one, it seemed like to me there were tons of expectations put on the spouses of those in ministry. You had to be out front. You had to be just as available to people as your husband or wife. I'm an introvert. That is not how I'm wired at all. And at the same time, growing up, there was a pastor and his family that uh, my family and I had grown close to. And after a period of time, some things transpired and my family and I, we were left wounded. So we all dealt with this woundedness in different ways. But for me personally, I walked away knowing with certainty that I would never marry a pastor and I would never become a pastor's wife. <laughs> like how that turned out, right? <laughs> and I know what you're probably thinking, well, duh, Lindsay, I mean, you knew before you vowed to spend the rest of your life with Nick that he was planning on going back into full-time ministry. And you're right, I did. But I think at the same time, the excitement of getting to spend the rest of my life with him, just, I mean, come on, right? I mean, that face, right? <laughs> it, it left me not thinking clearly of where my life trajectory was headed. Now, don't get me wrong, I would say I do to him again and again, but at the same time, my life picture was not looking at all like how I'd envisioned it. You know, I started to feel my heart harden. Um, ministry, as most of you know, is not a nine-to-five job. It requires weekends and evenings through the week. And here I was, 600 miles away from family and friends, and because I didn't want to step into ministry with Nick, I started to resent the church. Um, I'll never forget this one lady who I met while we were living in Ohio. She was the mom to two of the students in our youth ministry. And she was from originally from Mississippi, which meant she was Southern. And y'all know how we Southern folks are. We do everything the right way, whether it's how we decorate our house or how we cook, 
we do things right. And so I felt this instant connection with her. But she took me out to lunch one day, and I'll never forget um, one of the things she said to me. You know, I was sharing with her some of my feelings and some of the emotions that I was going through, and she could totally relate because her husband's job had moved them several times. And so she looked at me and she said, Lindsay, we have to bloom where we are planted. And so that was something I took with me, and it just stuck. I mean, things didn't automatically change right then and there, but I had this sort of aha moment where I realized that if I couldn't change my circumstances, then I had to change something in me. And so, you know, to be honest, I was tired of being bitter and resentful towards ministry. I mean, the very thing that Nick had given his life to. And, you know, instead of me constantly pulling him backwards while he was trying to move forwards, I decided it was time that I put on my big girl pants and that I joined him. So I did. <laughs> and, you know, my heart's desire was to walk alongside him shoulder to shoulder and to be in this with him. And I had to bloom where I was planted. I learned that even though life hadn't turned out like I thought it would, it can still be good. And let me tell you, God has been so very faithful through all the change, through all the growing pains, and even through the upset in my life picture. And I can imagine that there are some of you out there who you're feeling the same way. You know, things have not turned out like you thought they would. Maybe you don't live where you thought you would. Maybe you don't have the kind of job you thought you would, the number of kids you thought you would. But I want you to know that just because things haven't turned out like you thought they would, it doesn't mean that they can't be good. She looks good, doesn't she? Yeah, but I, I think that that is a truth that we all need to hear, regardless of your marriage status, your relationship status, whether you're single right now, whether you're on the other side of divorce, whether you're a widow, whatever it is, I think all of us can resonate with the simple fact that, hey, for all of us, life doesn't always go the way we wanted it to. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, you look around, you're like, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I wanted. We have two options, two options when we find ourselves in that place. One, we can sit and wallow in it and give in to despair. Or we can have the audacity to believe that just because it didn't turn out like, it, like we wanted it to doesn't mean that it can't be good. But experiencing life on the other side of that begins with believing that, with changing the way we think about it. You know, for me, change, my struggle with change had everything to do with life on the other side of having kids. Newsflash, kids change things. Oh my goodness, they change things. I mean, before we got married, you know what we could do on our day off? You're never gonna believe this. You know what we could do on our day off? We could sleep in, like as late as we wanted to. I remember there were days we wouldn't get out of the house till like one o'clock and I'd still wear my PJs all day, right? It was amazing. Or, or like our favorite thing to do back, the way we connected is we, we loved to work out together. We loved to run. And so we could do that whenever we wanted to. Now, like trying to organize our, our workouts is as complicated as doing our taxes. It's like, who's gonna watch the kids? When are you gonna go? It's, it's difficult. I miss, I love being a dad. Don't get me wrong. I love being a dad but there are parts of our, our relationship that I miss from before kids were involved. I miss it. You know, girls, women, can I talk to y'all? Childbirth, on the one hand, is way less painful for us. I get that, right? It's not as painful. But at the same time, it's way less rewarding for us too. It is. I mean, you, you carry a human being inside of you for like 10 months. That's amazing. 
And, and that changes you. And it should change you. It's going to change you. It's unbelievable, right? And so when you have that child, it's, it's, it's amazing for you. And it's this incredible experience. And you're instantly bonded. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it didn't, didn't work like that. Like, I mean, I, yeah, it was cool seeing my kids when they were born. But everybody talks about how it's this big miracle. I don't know. Like, there was no, like, Lion King moment for me. You know, or, like, Simba, oh. For me, it was kind of like, ugh. Like, and I did not instantly bond with my babies. I'm just being real. You know, for, for a long time, you feel like you're just helping mom take care of this baked potato that cries and poops all the time, right? It took me a while. But here's where, here's where guys, it's kind of hard. And if we're honest here, this is painful to us. Your relationship changes. Your wife changes. You see, she has this amazing experience and it instantly connects to this baby that you're just kind of like, yeah, you know? And it can hurt. You know, it's like, I remember, I remember when I used to come home from work before we had kids, she'd be so excited to see me. She'd like light up, you know, because we never lived in the same town until we lived in the same house. It's kind of like a new experience for us. You know, it's like, you're here. It's amazing every day. It's wonderful, right? I come home now and she still lights up, but for different reasons. It's like, here are the kids. <laughs> and that hurts though. You know, It does. And I think two things you need to say here is one, ladies, you need to understand that this, this can be painful for guys. And we don't always handle it in the most mature way. Kind of mope around and pout probably or something like that, if you're anything like me, right? But you need to know that it's important for you to still stay a wife. I, I don't imagine that to be easy. It's probably really hard, especially when we give you plenty of excuses to like the kids more than us anyway. But I think it's so important for you to stay committed as a wife because the greatest thing you can do for your kids anyway is invest in your marriage. Don't lose yourself entirely in that. Fellas, we got to learn to let some of that go. Like I remember sitting around for a while after the kids were born, like waiting to get my wife back. You know what I realized? She doesn't exist anymore. The woman that I married is different now. She's changed, right? Because this is life. What I have to do is learn to embrace a new normal. Right? Just because it's not like it used to be doesn't mean it can't be good. So here's what I found. You know what? There's a deeper level of intimacy that my wife and I have experienced right in the midst of the struggle of being, being parents to three beautiful, crazy kids in the midst of changing diapers and taking care of sick kids with the flu, right? There's this deeper, deeper level of intimacy. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I was getting ready to go to bed and I'll just tell you, my daughter, our youngest daughter is sleeping in our closet right now. Hey, it's a long story. Bottom line is she's sleeping and she's not crying. So she's in a pack and play though. It's not like she's sleeping on the floor, okay? But it worked for Harry Potter. Didn't he sleep under the stairs or something like that? Right, so my daughter, she's in the closet. And I was sitting there looking at our life and I'm like, this is crazy, but it's our crazy. And it's beautiful. And so it's learning to embrace new normal. And understanding we're just getting started. It's gonna keep changing. And she's gonna be a different person than she was when we were dating. She's not gonna stay that person. And the struggle is to continue to get to know one another over and over and over and over again in the midst of that. My wife, one of her favorite verses is from Ecclesiastes chapter three, where it says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything's beautiful. God has made, but in its time, that word in the Hebrew can also mean for a season. So the trick is learning to embrace and love the life that's in front of us, but to hold it open-handedly so that when it changes, we can let it go. Are you with me? You know, and then for me, one of my life verses, 1 Peter chapter 1, 
It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us a new birth into a living hope. See, our hope's in resurrection. Resurrection declares that death doesn't have the last word or the final say in this life or the next. See, death is any form of loss. That's what death is, right? It's the loss of an ideal, loss of our expectations, loss of a life picture. And trusting in resurrection is about believing that there's life on the other side of that. That just because it's not the way that it used to be doesn't mean it can't be good. So I don't know where you're at right now in your marriage. You know, maybe, maybe you're struggling to be an empty nesters. Maybe you're moving into retirement. Maybe something has happened in your extended family. My hope is that you can begin to trust that when God said all of this could be good, God meant it. Right in the midst of all that, we have the promise of resurrection, life on the other side of loss. But what I want to do, wrapping this up, is I want to share some things. You know, we've, we've experienced all of this change, and there's been a couple of things that we've committed to that have helped us navigate that well. And the first one's this. You got to hear me when I say this. It, it is a commitment and a discipline. Did you hear that word, discipline? Which means you don't just do it every now and then, right? We have to do it on a regular basis. And so it is a commitment and a discipline to getting to know one another over and over and over again. Interesting, the scriptures speak about the marriage. One of the words it uses in the Hebrew, it's in Proverbs chapter two, is this word alup, and it means special confidant or best friend. And the foundation of a healthy marriage is a deep friendship. It sounds so cliche, but it's absolutely true. The core, the foundation of a healthy marriage, the kind of marriage that makes it, the kind of marriage that lasts, that isn't just another statistic, is, is a marriage that is built on a really healthy friendship. Here's the thing about friends. Friends know each other. They know how they're doing. They're in touch with what's going on in one another's lives. Here's my question for you. How much do you know about your spouse? Not who they were when you first met. How much do you know about them right now? And not just their to-do lists, not just their schedules, not just their routines. How much do you actually know about what's going on up here and in here? I mean, John Wesley used to ask this question. He's the founder of the Methodist movement. And he, he's famous for his questions. He used to ask these great questions. One he's famous for is this. How is it with your soul? Are you aware of that? Are you attuned to that when it comes to your spouse? Because here's what I know. We're really good at this at the beginning, aren't we? Like we're interested in our spouse. We're captivated by them. We're trying to get them to like us. And so we're very attuned to them. We know everything about them. We want to know everything about them. I mean, if you know, if you know me, I hate talking on the phone. Can't stand it. You call me, I'm probably not going to answer. I'm going to write you an email. I just like talking on the phone. When Lindsay and I were dating, I kid you not, we would talk on the phone for like four hours. It's ridiculous. We talked all the time. Then once you're married for a while, for whatever reason, either we get hurt by each other, maybe we get bored, maybe we get consumed with our career, or we get engrossed in our kids' lives and being a parent. You know what ends up happening to our marriage relationship? We develop this habit of inattentiveness. We just go through the motions. So tell me if this feels familiar, is that after a while, your marriage is really just a matter of circumstance. You're two people living under the same roof, taking care of the same stuff, your business partners, your roommates. You ever been there before? And so you're virtually strangers. 
All because we, we, stop, we stop making the effort of getting to know each other. I'm just gonna say that I've been working with a lot of couples lately. This is what sparked this marriage series, Faye and I both and all the pastors got together. We've been talking with a whole lot of couples that are dealing with infidelity right now. They're working through it. I want you to hear this. Infidelity doesn't have to have the last word or the final say. You can make it through it. Jesus can restore that marriage. It's a lot of work. It's not guaranteed. Both people have to cooperate, but it can happen, right? If Jesus can come back from the dead, anything can happen. Can I get an amen on that? But, but here's the thing people have to realize. So often when we get to that place, people just want to talk about the affair. But you got to talk about why it happened. And more often than not, marriages fall apart, not because of the big stuff, but because of the countless little things, the little ways we wound each other all throughout the years, the weeks, whatever it is, or all the ways in which we turn away from each other. We shut down parts of ourselves and we grow cold. That's not excusing somebody who's had an affair. It's it's a casual thing. It's not. But there's a certain environment in a relationship that leads to that. I believe it has everything to do with this. How much do you actually know about each other? John Gottman wrote this book. He's an incredible thinker, uh, marriage expert. He's a research psychologist. And if I had to recommend one book um, for you to read, it's really practical. It's called Seven Principles for Making Your Marriage Work. He's a really well-respected research psychologist. But he has an entire chapter devoted to this. He calls it attunement. And one of the things he's discovered is that a lot of couples, after a while, you stop getting to know each other. And he has these questions that he has you go through at the end in order to create some dialogue, some conversations, some ways for you to connect. I love these questions. And I would love to know, can you, could you answer these accurately, confidently about your spouse? Here they are. Here's, here's, here's a couple of them. What is the most exciting thing happening in your life right now? If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? How would you like your life and our life to be different three years from now? When it comes to the future, what do you worry about most? This is often one of the things we keep from each other. Are those things that are like kind of keeping us up at night. I can imagine a couple that's just entering into retirement right now. And the guy having a hard time with that transition. That's tough. How much do you know about what's going on in his head and his heart? Talking about it. Or I think about the, the married couple, right? You're about to have kids. Or maybe you just had kids. And maybe the, the wife has been, I'm just throwing this out there. You've been a career-driven woman your whole life. But you've been staying at home with the kids. And now all of a sudden you're thinking about maybe staying at home. Does your husband know that? <laughs> we talked about it. Do you feel like you can talk about it? Is this making sense? Because what, often what happens is we, we don't. We just keep it to ourselves. And then we bring it up down the road and it ends up being a big, ugly blow-up thing. And a couple other questions. What, what adventures would you like to have in your life right now? Can you see how talking about this stuff, though, could generate some really good connection for you as a couple? And, and I think in order to do that, you have to have a, a sort of posture, an openness towards one another, because my wife and I are very different. If you haven't noticed, I'm a verbal processor. I like to talk a lot. And I process things as I talk about them. So I don't worry about saying them the right way the first time. I just say them and then we figure it out. My wife's not that way. She has a hard time talking about what she's thinking about or how she's feeling because she's afraid she's not going to say it right. And so we have this sort of rule as we're doing this, you don't have to worry about saying it right. I'm not going to get offended. I can't get offended until you get it out there and we figure it out. We call it word vomiting. Just get it out. But it's a sort of openness we have to have with each other. 
where she, ha- she knows that I am not allowed. You might say it the wrong way, I'm not allowed to get offended. Now, if we figure out what you're trying to say and we get it and then I'm offended, then that's okay. <laughs> but I think what's, what's important is, and there are some people in this room right now, I'm gonna talk to you, listen to me. The thought of having these conversations with your spouse is terrifying because you're afraid of how they're gonna react. You're afraid they're gonna blow up. They're gonna get angry. They're gonna freak out and think you're gonna run away. And we gotta be in the type of relationships where we can say whatever we're thinking. Or You're allowed to. I'm gonna get real, real with y'all. Right after we moved back here, things were bad in our relationship. We didn't handle the change well. You know, me moving down here, uh, taking on a new role. I, I, loved, I loved where we were at before. I loved what I was doing. But I felt like this was the right thing. Now, I had a whole month off in between when I left the other church, when I started here. Guys, what do we do with that kind of time off? Is that good for us most of the time? Not usually. And I went over, I kept, I kept asking, did I make the right decision? Did I make the right decision coming down here? Was that the right decision? So I was super insecure. Same time she was pregnant with our third child trying to make a home, we grew, we grew apart really fast. And you kind of feel yourself hardening your heart towards each other. You know what I'm talking about? And there was one night before bed, I told her, I said, Lindsay, I'm not happy in our marriage. That's a heavy thing to say. I had to say it. I didn't like where we were headed. I didn't like how I was feeling about her and where we were at in the marriage. And it was hard for her to hear that. But here's the beautiful thing. I knew I could say it. I could say it. I could share that with her. And I knew that she knew I wasn't gonna bail. That I knew that she wasn't gonna freak out. But we were gonna do what we always have done. We're gonna sit down, we're gonna work this out. Now, I had to get permission from my wife to share that with y'all. I've learned to get permission. I didn't do that one time and it was bad, okay? And she felt funny about it at first. I mean, for a couple of reasons. On the one hand, that's pretty revealing, right? But the last thing we want anybody to think is that we got this all figured out. Because we don't. But the other reason she was kind of hesitant because she said, Nick, I don't know what to tell him we did. Like when I think about how we came out of that, I don't know how it happened. I don't know what we did to fix it. We started talking about that a little bit. And here's what we realized. It's sort of like driving in the mountains. You ever come into a fog? You know, you're driving up the mountains, you come into a fog, right? And you can't see real well. Well, unless it's like freaky fog, <laughs> there's no like distinct place where you just all of a sudden drive out of the fog, is there? What ends up happening is you drive through it and it gradually goes away. And there's this moment where suddenly you realize we're not in the fog anymore. I want to talk to you couples right now. You are cold. You've shut it down. You haven't slept in the same bed for, for years for other reasons than he snores really bad, right? You're cold, but you want things to change. I hope you hear me when I say this. There's not one thing we can tell you to do to fix it. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take every single day waking up and turning towards each other and depending on God to do in you what you can't do yourself. And it's like driving out of a fog. It won't happen overnight, but I promise you, it will happen. It can happen. And it can be good again. But it's going to take both parties and it's going to take a lot of hard work. Are you with me on that? And that's what counselors are there for. So that you need help navigating this, please come talk to us. We know tons of counselors. My wife and I have spent a lot of time with counselors. It's like getting your oil check. (laughs) It's good for you to do it on a regular basis. One last point, I'm over time, sorry. Sorry, children's ministry, here we go. Last point, here it is. 
we have a, a commitment to growing together. What I mean by that is my wife and I live with the conviction that we shouldn't be the same people that we were a year ago, that you should change, you should grow. I mean, partially because we're called to be disciples of Jesus. You know, you know, you know what disciple means? It means student, it means learner. That's literally what the word means. So somebody whose fundamental posture towards the world, towards God, towards faith, is to learn, it's to grow, it's to become different. That's one of the things I love, I love about my wife. She's a learner. She's always reading something new, something different, listening to podcasts. I mean, she's always growing and learning. And I try to do the same thing. And then we get to share what we're finding together and it's where we connect. It's beautiful. And when we do that, God uses one another to push each other forward to grow. I'm not the same person that I was when I married her eight years ago. And thank God I've grown up. I mean, it was crazy for me to be up on stage with her a couple weeks ago, her preaching in front of people. You heard her story. That was the last thing she ever thought she'd do. And then not too long ago, she was leading a woman's Bible study down in the chapel on Wednesday nights. And I had to run down there and help put a video in for her, get the video fixed for part of the lesson. I almost lost it when I walked in the room. She was standing in front of 75 women about to help lead a Bible study. I was like, eight years ago, she'd been like, uh-uh. It's been incredible. And then for me, I'll just say, it, I got some dysfunction in my family. You got any of that? Ugh. And for the longest time, my way of dealing with it wasn't, was to not deal with it. Funny thing is, you find out when you have kids, you can't, that's not an option. Because if you don't deal with it, you're gonna hand it off to your kids, right? And so I knew I had to deal with it. But because of my wife's love, her compassion, sometimes a good kick in the rear, I've started dealing with some of that stuff. I'm facing down my demons, so to speak. I think this is God's hope for the marriage relationship, is that we're the kind of people who can do that, who can push each other forward, who can grow together. Last thing, I promise you. Fellas, I don't like reinforcing stereotypes because I don't fit into most of them anyway. But one thing I've noticed is that when it comes to the things of God, usually it's the woman who's leading the family. And I know there's all sorts of reasons for this. For some reason, I talk to most guys and, and we live with this sort of shame, like we don't think we're good enough to be spiritual leaders. That's a lie. It's not true. All of us are broke folk, if won't be true. You're a human being made in the very image of God and you've been given the very spirit of Christ that raised him from the dead. You're capable of so much. But what breaks my heart is to watch men pour their passions into a bunch of stuff that doesn't really matter. And so they can talk to me all day about Clemson's recruiting class or Carolina's recruiting class, but there's very little passion for the things of God. He needs you to wake up. Your family needs you to wake up. This church needs you to wake up. This community needs you to wake up. Imagine if that sort of passion got pointed at the kind of stuff that actually matters. Our world would be pretty different, wouldn't you agree? Now, ladies, I hear from you a lot of times that you wish your, family, your husband led spiritually. I get you. I hear you. I resonate with that. But do me a favor. Don't think that means he has to look like the preacher. Because a lot of times I think that's what we mean. It's like, you want to see him leading Bible studies up in front of people. Not everybody's cut out to do this. And you can talk to my wife. You don't want anything to do with it. I'm a mess when I'm working on a sermon or whatever it is. Your husband leading doesn't mean he has to look like the preacher. Let him lead in the way that God's put him together and celebrate that. Champion it. When you see him doing it, man, tell him, let him know. 
But when it comes down to it, my wife and I have tried really hard to look at our marriage like an adventure. I'll never forget going to bachelor parties and sort of the sentiment was, you better live it up tonight because tomorrow your life is over. We've tried to fight that every ounce of that way of thinking because it's not true. Truth is, marriage has been a big adventure. Maybe not some like Instagram exotic worthy adventure, but it's finding an adventure in the middle of changing diapers and taking care of sick kids. <laughs> the struggle to get to know one another over and over and over again. And so as Jack leads us through one hymn, final hymn, here's my question. Is there something, some sense of change you need help embracing? Maybe things didn't turn out the way you wanted them to, or maybe they're not the way they used to be. Maybe what you need from God right now is the strength, the ability to believe that it can still be good. And I think what all of us need in this room is for God to give us bigger pictures, bigger dreams of the kind of life that he's called us to. Amen.